0: When you relentlessly pursue a life of joy and happiness unapologetically, to me, that is radical resistance. And I am in a place in my life right now where I want to talk about that joy. I want to rediscover what that joy and happiness looks like. Because every time I talk about it, it gives me a sense of fire as a young feminist. Because when we talk about our joy, it makes the patriarchy uncomfortable. Because why? They only want us to exist within the parameters of our pain and our struggles and our hurt. They don't want us to smile. They want us to keep crying and continue showing up being angry. No. We're going to shift that. We're going to reclaim and we're going to find that joy. In fact, we are living through some of those joys.
1: You're listening to That Feminist Fire, a new podcast that unravels over 40 years of feminist movements and reimagines a way forward. I'm your host, Gopika Bashi, a passionate feminist at heart, and I also work at AWID, an organization that supports feminist movements worldwide. Trans women are at the forefront of many struggles for justice and liberation. From building communities and creating systems of self and collective care to fighting for access to educational and employment opportunities. Grace Banu was born in a rural community in southern India as part of a Dalit or so-called untouchable caste. After overcoming several roadblocks through her advocacy, she became the first transgender person to be admitted into engineering college in Tamil Nadu, her home state. Sulik Wanga is a young transgender feminist and indigenous Fijian. She founded the House of Chameleon, a youth and transgender-led feminist movement working to create a safe space for transgender people in Fiji. In this episode, these two activists discuss the struggles of trans women and talk about the societal and political changes needed to truly make a positive impact in their communities. Suleik Wanga grew up in Fiji before moving to the United States a couple of years ago.
0: Fiji has kind of molded me a lot in the way that I've been able to perceive the world not only socially, economically, but also very much politically as well as a woman of trans experience. To get a better understanding of Fiji, you know, from pre-independence, but also pre-colonial, Fiji is a former British colony. And a lot of the fabric of our society have been adopted from the white colonial rule of the British. So when they came to Fiji, like in many other countries throughout the world, they introduced their draconial laws of existing in society. And with that comes the church. So a lot of the ways in which we have been governed as Indigenous people have been through those white supremacist systems of colonial rule. And because of that, they've introduced the systems into literally every fabric of our society that have brought about a lot of ongoing struggles to this day in terms of race, in terms of identity, in terms of the ongoing oppressions of queer and LGBT people like myself, through the introduction of the church, through the introduction of this religious fundamentalism and ongoing religious propaganda that we still see today. And we know that a lot of the ongoing oppressions were because of the systems that were introduced by this white colonial rule. And to me, as a Pacific Islander, I've survived in a country that is very multicultural, not only multicultural, but it's also multireligious. We have um, Hindus, we have Muslims, predominantly Christians and all of that. So with that, some of our founding fathers of Fiji, modern day, probably towards the 1920s, ongoing thought about how do we build this society that has, you know, kind of forced upon us by the British. How do we build a Fiji that recognizes the intersections of everyone, the multi-layers that we have? So in 1997, the Fiji government back then introduced our first constitution since independence. And in the constitution, they had a provision under the Bill of Rights. In 1997, Fiji became the second country in the world to explicitly have sexual orientation as a prohibited ground of discrimination in its constitution. It was second to South Africa.
1: Thanks to this law, Sulik was able to demand justice after an experience she had when she was 16 years old.
0: Unfortunately, I was brutally assaulted in high school at an all-male school by six senior prefects and um, you know it's something that no person no trans woman should ever go through it was very difficult moment in my life and 20 years after I am still healing I am still finding refuge and connections and relationships with the world, but also within myself, to be able to feel the need to continue to heal personally. What actually drove me to finally, you know, seek a redress through the Fiji Human Rights Commission, but we used the 1997 constitutional protection. So through the Fiji Human Rights Commission, I filed a criminal case in the magistrate court against those six senior prefects. Exactly one year later, they were found guilty of the crime. And they were sentenced, because they were first offenders, they were sentenced to six months of community service and anger management. But then the question is, what happens to the survivors and victims? Nothing happened to me. No one came to me to say, we have a a platform or a mechanism where we know because you've gone through this trauma that you need to heal as well, because the law recognized that. That's what access to justice should look like. It should be trauma-informed interventions. That's the disconnection I saw when I was 16 years old. And I became a primary care provider of the need to heal myself because the state could not provide that to me. The civil society could not provide that to me. The women's movement in Fiji were not even interested about my healing. They were interested in the fact that the 16-year-old was taking these people to court and became a landmark decision. No one cared to sit and say, wait, this person is also hurting, there's pain. And I think through feminism, we need to start unpacking and asking about those questions.
1: Despite being backed by the constitution, Sulik didn't feel looked after by the legal system. In 2013, Fiji's constitution extended its guaranteed provisions of non-discrimination to also cover gender identity and expression. But that law doesn't always translate to
0: reality we might be one of the few countries in the world that specifically has a very progressive constitution but it doesn't always reflect the realities that's happening on the ground and i think that's very important to mention despite these legal protections despite the supreme constitutional protection of the law we still have not seen a shift on the ground in terms of the discrimination violence that we experience for example in order for these policies and laws to work we need to test them out. They can't just be there in books and then looking pretty, and then our government going to Geneva or the UN or the Human Rights Council, which we have hold presidency and chairmanship for I think the last few years, to say, oh, it's all good in Fiji, but it doesn't work like that way. So one of the ways in which we kind of tested out was through an individual submission. There was actually a court case, a test case that was submitted in Fiji's High Court in 2015, where a transgender woman seeked legal gender recognition under the Fiji Constitution, using the Constitution's protection as a benchmark. But despite the Constitution saying all of this, the case was dismissed by the High Court. The High Court in Fiji and the court did not even recognize the transgender woman was a woman who was making the application. So despite of this beautiful whatever laws that the Fiji government is trying to make every year, it's a lot, I would say, pinkwashing by the state on its citizens. And if I were to give the world's pinkwashing black belt, I would give it to the Fiji government because it is true. Unfortunately, it is true. There's a lot of pinkwashing. There's a lot of lip service. And the ground has not shifted. The reality has not shifted. We have not seen the fruition of this policy protection.
1: Like Sulik and many trans women, Grace Banu experienced violence after she came out as trans. But she was also discriminated from birth as a Dalit in India. The caste-based
2: discrimination happen
1: happened everywhere. So uh, I also faced
2: during my childhood, but... That's a you know normal issue in the uh, in the southern part of Tamil Nadu, and so many murders are happening, so many caste murders are happening, and everything is happening. So I saw uh, directly those all the murders from childhood onwards. It's like a feel unsafe situation.
1: Grace realized her trans identity as a teen.
2: I saw some changes. It's happening in my body, and my body and my feelings got mismatched. That age, the puberty age, like 15 to 16. So that time, I completely understand, okay, I have a female feeling. So I'm not a male. I want to change my identity. I don't want to live with this body. This body and my feelings have a mismatch. I want to live with my original identity. So I try to explain my uh, identity uh, and however the people are teasing me my body attitude and the uh, language and everything and I was studied in the boys high school school. So that's super patriarchy people who are surrounding with me and the super casteist people also who were surrounded with me. So I had a situation to face this all the discrimination. And they were out there, teased me. And suddenly my school principal stopped my education. They're not allowing me into the classroom. They're not allowing me to continue my studies.
1: After Grace was excluded from school because of her gender identity, Grace's mother tried to reach out to the principal.
2: Me and my mother went to meet a principal so many times, like more than a week. And after a few weeks and... He called uh, my mother at 9:30 p.m., night time. He called us and he said, uh, uh, "You should come to my home." So okay, we went uh, to his residence, and he said, uh, "Okay, we are we are coming for a for forward to give a opportunity for your child, but you, your child should follow this all kind of conditions." Condition A: I don't, I can't uh, speak with anybody. So I have to come to school, uh, school late and I have to leave from the school very early. Like uh, 4.30 school will close and I have to leave 4 o'clock. And I can't enter into the classroom. I can't speak with anybody including uh, teachers. But I'm a child. 15 years, 16 year old child who doesn't know about anything. Who doesn't know about our body. You know, what's happening with our body. So, those kind of uh, uh, trauma we are facing that time and suddenly this society immediately when I saw my identity next minute I lost my friends I lost my families and I lost my all the relationships and I don't have any friends and they saw me as it's like uh, some aliens who come to our school or who are studying with us so those kind of discrimination after three months i can't control myself because every day every day when i saw the fellow students they were uh, their eyes got like you know when we saw some ugly things their face reaction as a discrimination so it's it's hurted me a lot i'm a child what i what i did i didn't do anything i i know i want to live with my own identity i want to live my natural identity I, and that's my original so otherwise, I don't do anything. I don't uh, rape anybody. I don't theft anything. I don't, I'm i not a criminal. I'm not a, I, no, I'm just a human. That time I got to fight with uh, my body, with my feelings. And I got to uh, fight with the society who are surrounding with me. And suddenly I got feel unsafe.
1: One day at school, Grace reached a breaking point. She tore her clothes, put sand on her face, threw a book at the principal and left. When her parents found out, they told Grace they would go to the temple the next day. Instead, they institutionalized her and started her on conversion therapy.
2: So they put me in the injections and uh, they put me in the uh, dark room and they gave so much of torture mentally, physically, verbally, everything.
1: While she was at the hospital, Grace learned of the trans community in India through a book. She lied to the psychiatrist about her gender identity so she could be discharged. The next day, she escaped home and joined the trans community in a different city. She was adopted by a trans woman whom she now considers her mother. Hoping to stay away from sex work, Grace started selling sweets. So me and
2: my mother, uh, my trans mother, we both are stayed with the sex workers home. There's a group of sex workers women who are supporting us. Those women also, they encouraged me, hey, this is my child and you should study. We are doing sex work, but you can't do.
1: Those gave me so much of energy. To do you know the next level. Grace used the money she earned selling sweets to enroll in a computer engineering course, which she completed with honors.
2: I got a placement opportunity so uh, in Chennai. So on um, that time uh, it's it's my big dream. So when I got a call from my college, uh, at the placement cell they said, "Hey, you're selected for this company and." Usually from next week and this, this, uh, I was like completely like giving so much of happiness. Yeah,
1: really. Grace started working as a junior programmer at a company in Chennai. While studying, Grace had hidden her trans identity. But after she started working, she began hormone therapy, making it impossible to continue to conceal it. And they teased me verbally. Mentally, they abused me. And were, that's also,
2: that was like, it's completely, again, I, uh, I know I, got, I faced uh, the discrimination. Immediately, they reduced my salary also. And they take back my residence also. And I got to take uh, live in the rental house. So, I, and after six months, I said, I got, I know I, I got uh, so much of frustration and uh,
1: the mental trauma. And I have to quit my job. Grace decided to apply for a government job but was denied because the State Employment Registry didn't have provisions for trans people.
2: I tried to approach a government job, and government said, trans people don't have a rights to write a government examination. Me and a group of uh, uh, my trans friends, um, very few trans friends, only 5 persons. we tried why these people are denying our opportunity. And who are you to tell us to don't do this? So I thought, okay, what are the problem with this? What is the solution? So I got so many experience. So I gather all the experience. What is the uh, solution for uh, my community? Why my community only do the baking and sex work? Why don't we uh, have to study? Why don't we have to do uh, the employment opportunity? Why don't we don't have education opportunity? So we should create all the platforms. So we should create a safe space. That time only we uh, demand. Okay, in India, we are following a reservation structure. So when we uh, get a reservation rights, so reservation rights is the only tool to get all the oppressed community to go to the next level.
1: Reservation is a system in India, similar to affirmative action, that reserves access to seats in government jobs, educational institutions, and the legislature to groups that have faced historical and systemic discrimination based on their identities.
2: Uh, we raised that slogan like uh, you know we want separate reservation for the trans in education, employment, and politics because we are also taxpayer of this country. But this peer society, they are not ready to give our rights. So uh, we raised that uh, issue and we started a protest for our rights. Five people got arrested and they brutally attacked us and the police cops, they tortured me a lot. And that time, all the media's focus on that issues, why these people are doing because these people asking education and it's created a debate in the assembly. And we got the positive judgment in 2013. Uh, you know, your government should allow the trans people to write a government examination and they should create a separate category for the trans people. Now so many trans persons are writing a government examination.
1: This fierce advocacy led Grace to become the first transgender person to be admitted into engineering college in Tamil Nadu, her home state. Like Grace, Sulik has mobilized the trans community to advocate in spaces where trans people are normally excluded.
0: When we started off in 2017, I think 18, there was a, a little bit of resistance, even from women's groups, even from so-called women's feminists in Fiji. To be able to have transgender women, because they thought we were taking up their spaces, because they thought that they were diluting the feminist agenda, the feminist conversation. I was having this conversation from with someone who, who have a, who holds a really you know high position in Fiji in terms of a, a human rights body, who said that one of the prominent feminists a woman in Fiji came to him and told him how she was disappointed by transgender women continuing to sit and to be part of the meeting. And I was like, then we will create a space that has trans women in it.
1: For this reason, Sulik co-founded House of Chameleon the first ever organization devoted to ending discrimination and violence against
0: transgender people in Fiji. And one of the reasons why we wanted to kind of have this exotic reptile that doesn't even exist in Fiji, but we felt that it was so chameleonic, was because understanding but also recognizing the different intersectionality and the multiple layers, the million layers of who we are, but also challenging the status quo of how we continue to organize as a queer community, is to ask the question, is how are we centering the lives of people that are not around the table? So those were the two things. One was, where is the table? Where are we supposed to be sitting? And if we don't find the table, we need to be building the table. And the other main question was about why are we not centering transgender women in our discourse and in our ongoing conversations as an LGBT movement, but also as a feminist women's movement in Fiji. And that was one of the reasons why we felt there was a need to make sure that the tool that we need to develop was to make sure that it was developed by our own community for, by, and with. That we're no longer going to accept other people dictating about how organizing should be for transgender women. When we look around the table, there were no trans women sitting around the table. In fact, when we look at the human rights violations of trans women in the community, we were at the forefront of a lot of these violations. And the data were virtually impossible to kind of generate, to be able to specifically examine the ongoing oppressions of transgender women because it was so broad, it was just too general, that people didn't feel the need that we need to kind of dwell further down and um, look at the deep layers of these oppressions. And I feel that was the way in which we kind of dismantle the way the organising were comfortable with over the years. And we were not afraid of that.
1: In 2018, House of Chameleon conducted a study on the sexual and gender-based violence experienced by trans and gender non-conforming people
0: in Fiji. It was the first ever peer-led study conducted by transgender women community themselves and asking each other about the experiences of violence. But two important things we wanted to find out. One was our experience of violence in the different communities, whether it's in school, at church, or at work, but also to look at how the different apparatus and mechanisms, basically establishments were failing us in terms of access to justice. So the title of the research was, Every Breath a Trans Woman Takes is an Act of Revolution, Access to Justice Research, and two key findings we got from that, apart from the many other findings that we were able to kind of examine. One was 70% of trans women experienced violence of some form upon coming out as transgender identifying. And also over half of the transgender women who were surveyed and who had reported acts of violence, nothing happened to the person who had committed the acts of violence when the person reported the case. And I think this draws back to why the infrastructure continues to fail us, why the system, including the police, the healthcare facilities around Fiji, but also the legal system have kind of just turned the blind eye to the needs of transgender women to be able to trust the law in itself and the system to be able to report. So we started meeting up with the Fiji Police Commissioner, We started arranging meetings with the Ombudsman's Office, with the director of the Fiji Human Rights and Anti-Discrimination Commission. We, in fact, collaborated with some of them in the event. We met up with the commissioner of police and then we decided that, okay, we need to start establishing a standard procedure of Fiji police force when you encounter cases of violence or when transgender women experience violence and all of that. So ongoing trainings within law enforcement and things like that. So these have been some of... The engagement, but also the recommendations that we'll be able to kind of get out from the research
1: Sulik's work also helped increase the visibility of the trans community
0: in Fiji everyone back in at home in Fiji, everyone was come lumped under the umbrella of gay. If they see you you know acting in a certain way or things like that, everyone was called gay, and no one knew what transgender woman was until we started fiercely coming into mainstream television and in radio and in the streets and at work and organizing in our biggest festival, the Hibiscus Festival. We we organized anti-Synical pageant for 10 years. We made sure that every person that was listening knew about transgender women, what it means. But I think it's also important to know the stories of transgender women, who they are, Where are they from? How they look like? And how they define themselves and how they show up in their own authentic way, in a way that we need to continue to celebrate and tell these stories. So for me, that was about that. The trans women, House of Chameleon, kind of amplified that visibility and also provided a nuance, a different story altogether that we were reclaiming, but also we were unapologetically writing the chapters of our lives, our stories in the different books. And it is now, you can hear it from our own voices, instead of having to watch it through television from the North, for example, instead of like having to hear from someone who doesn't have a trans experience. So for me, that has been the greatest success. Grace has also found
1: great success in her activism. Just like her trans mother, Grace decided to adopt a trans daughter who had also been excluded from her community. Grace's daughter became the first trans child to complete her secondary education in Tamil Nadu. Today, Grace continues to advocate for trans reservation rights and to educate her community.
2: We are facing caste discrimination, gender-based discrimination. We don't have a privilege to access the public space like education, employment. So I strongly raise these issues. So when we get the reservation rights, so that is the only tool, only weapon to create equality for all the trans people. So immediately the people who are having privilege, those people only get all kind of opportunities. So that's why we strongly believe, okay, horizontal reservation is the only solution for us. So I, educate, I started the education at the national level. And now I, got, I created a debate in the national level. And so many debates are happened. And, and it's happened in the parliament area, parliament also.
1: Today, Grace continues to advocate for the rights of trans, Dalit, and other historically marginalized communities and for their representation and leadership in the feminist movement and beyond.
2: For me, feminism it's not fulfilled without trans women uh, rights, and for, for me, feminism it's not fulfilled without Dalit women's rights. We should create a equal equality for all the you know because we are all fight against the patriarchy, and we should share uh, solidarity to each other. Every day we are losing our so many trans sisters and trans brothers because of the social discrimination. Every year, we are celebrating International Trans Day of Remembrance. Every year, that graph is going to increase. So, in future, it should be decreased. In future, it should be safe space
1: for all the people. As an activist, Sulik is working hard to create safe spaces for trans women. But she has also learned that it is essential to take care of oneself, in order to take care of others.
0: The wake-up call for me was, it is part of our self-awareness, is that when you understand yourself enough, you will know when to give yourself the love that you so freely give others. And that love is rest. And that love is restoration. And that love is self-preservation. That it is okay for you to kind of just go somewhere in the mountains or on the beach without your laptop without your phone and just give yourself the love and the rest that you deserve girl because you've got a long way to continue to show up and continue to spread that love but if you don't go back and replenish the cup my cup runneth over you know Make sure that whatever's flowing up of the cup is always enough because what's in the cup is for you. What's flowing up of the cup is for everyone else. So you need to go back and make sure that the cup is always full. Not half full, but full. So for me, that has been about um, the safety and security and just understanding when it is time for you to go back home to yourself and just rest and refill because when you come back, you bring the fire back into the movement that all the young girls and all the women out there and all the feminists are looking forward to receive. And reciprocate is that fire. How do we continue to feel that fire? Because the fire is innate, is inside all of us. And I think that has been the challenge, but also very Aspiring, when you know that a cup has been empty, it is time to go. That's the cue. That's the cue to go and refill.
1: Sulik has refilled her cup by finding her own path towards healing after the abuse she experienced.
0: We really need to seriously think about how do we create systems and platforms and collective self care, a place where we can heal as well. And I think that was something that I unfortunately never found, and I was forced to look for it. And I've been looking for it over the years, and I say I've I've healed in a way, in a lot of ways. I've been able to do that. And I think one of the things that I also now, looking back 20 years, is that I think I've survived that. I don't see myself as the victim, and I do do not like to always dwell on the pain and the violence that I strip in the struggles as if transgender women's existence are solely confined to our pain and our anger and our oppressions and all of that. Which is why I feel that radical joy is derived when you fiercely talk about joy. When you relentlessly pursue a life of joy and happiness unapologetically because to me, that is resilience. To me, that is radical resistance. And I am in a place in my life right now where I want to talk about that joy. I want to rediscover what that joy and happiness looks like because every time I talk about it, it gives me a sense of fire as a young feminist because when we talk about our joy, It makes the patriarchy uncomfortable, because why? They only want us to exist within the parameters of our pain and our struggles and our hurt. They don't want us to smile. They want us to keep crying and continue showing up being angry. No, we're gonna shift that. We're going to reclaim and we're going to find that joy. In fact, we are living through some of those joys. But it is important to talk about our struggles and our pain and all of that to liberate us. But we can't be talking about that every day. We need some point to kind of dance to the beat. We need some point to kind of cheers to that, you know, to kind of celebrate all of our wins and our success. And I think that's what makes the movement so you know, colorful That's what makes the movement thrive and sustainable if we pursue our joy and happiness in a radical way.
1: One way in which Sulik found joy was through pageantry. For about a decade, she was the chief coordinator of Fiji's leading transgender pageant.
0: And that was one way for me to build the sense of joy and happiness. And to me, I wanted that space to be able to celebrate that for us to kind of cultivate, to use it as a plantation where we are fiercely going and planting seeds and of joy. And then when we uproot all of this, when it's time for harvesting, when it's a season for harvesting, we better be cultivating some joy and some happiness crops. And I think that's what we've been able to do with the Andy Sinikawa pageant for 10 years.
1: Sulik feels connected to the global feminist movement through being her authentic self.
0: Every time we stand, for example, in unapologetic, you know, defiance of society's pressure to perform gender in ways that feel inauthentic to our core being, we empower women all over the world to exist on their own terms. And I think that's something that we can continue to learn from each other, draw from each other, but also just celebrate.
1: I love how Sulik and Grace find radical joy in their activism, despite the systemic discrimination they faced. As a feminist advocate myself, their resilience reminds me of how important it is to continue our collective struggle for a more just and inclusive future. I hope their stories also sparked your feminist fire. Thank you so much for joining us on the first season of That Feminist Fire. While we're on a season break, make sure to listen back to episodes that you might have missed. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to That Feminist File so you don't miss out on new episodes. Please also rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. This show is made in partnership with Human Group Media. Our executive producer is Camille Lorente, associate producer Fernanda Uriagas, mixing, editing, and music by Maverick Aquino. To know more about AWID and to claim your place by the fire by becoming a member of our global feminist community, visit www.awid.org. I'm your host, Gopika Bashi, and I can't wait to catch you all